dribble. The champ is here. I must be the greatest. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will I not, not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man, MH. He is the DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here, interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom. We're covering it all, laughing it all, while providing a platform to be heard. All right, so you know what we do about this time. We have to welcome our guests, all right? So she is a rebel with the cause, all right? Sports industry executive and educator um, in the college and the pro realm. Um, as an entrepreneur, a real estate agent, brand marketing consultant, and so much more. We're going to get all into it uh, on today's show. But her day job, or like I say, her first stream of income is director of sports. <laughs> she giggles because she knows what I'm talking about. Uh, the first uh, in, uh, stream is a director of sports uh, industry management program at Georgetown University. Please, please, please clap it up for Laquita Frederick, a.k.a. Dr. Q. So can we call you Dr. Q? You uh, may call me Dr. Q. I actually prefer it. Okay, that's what's up. We picked that up, you know, doing our research. So we're like, okay, that's going to be that's. And there's another story that I definitely want to bring out. But no, <laughs> so how we start the show is we always kind of probe our, our, our guests. We want to hit you with a shoot your shot moment, okay? So this is just where you give us a little short story of, you know, how you shot your shot. You went for it all. You know, it could have been something where you, you, you took an L, which we call lessons, right? Or, you know, you, you won the game. So a shoot your shot moment. It could have been, you know, early days, career days. But anytime you shot your shot. And you can't give us that, I always shoot my shot. No, none of that. None of that. Oh, wow. That's Yeah, yeah. Let's that's go. Hilarious. Oh, wow. That's I'm trying to figure, like, pick one that, like, stands out because there's been a lot. I probably, it's not quite the beginning, but it's the official beginning. I probably say when I, uh, when I went to, uh, when I wanted to go to grad school, to Ohio State, I didn't really have a plan for grad school, even though it that's what most people do. Long story short, I had an aunt who worked at an HBCU in North Carolina. And each year, Ohio State uh, had a HBCU weekend where they would bring students from all over the country to recruit them to their graduate programs. I did not go to an HBCU. I went to NC State, which is a great big PWI um, <laughs> with thousands of students. So she let me piggyback on that trip and we went to Ohio State for a weekend and I did fit the criteria of being a minority. So I used that as my opportunity to kind of find my way to the sport management program. I wasn't officially part of the weekend. I wasn't officially registered. I literally was kicking it with my aunt and I just drilled down. So Ohio State is literally the only school, only program I applied to. And I got in and I got a free ride. So Let's I get to that's the definition of shooting your shot. <laughs> for sure, for sure. MH. Right on. So uh the daughter of a, a coach, where did your love for sports start? With dad. Um <laughs> easy with dad. I I don't have, I say this all the time, but it's, it's absolute truth. I don't have a memory of life where I wasn't going to a game. Hmm. My father was a coach, but my father also um participated in rec league. So he played baseball, he played pickup basketball, he played tennis. And so he didn't get boys, he got two girls. 
So he just, we kept up. I, and I remember being in the dugouts. I remember being at basketball games. I remember coming in the back door. That's one of my real significant memories because then I decided that I needed access at all times. I didn't want to be the person coming through the gate. Nah, y'all, that, that ain't cool. I need to come through <laughs> the back or I need to be in the tunnels. Um, it started with my father. Um, I just don't remember life without sport in some form or fashion, whether I was a participant or whether I was a kid or a little girl um, or whether it was, you know, as I got older, I was a sports writer for my middle school paper. Or my I was a sports journalist for my high school yearbook. Um, sports has always just been a, a significant piece of my life in one form or fashion. And I'm from North Carolina. I grew up on Tobacco Road. Hello. <laughs> like, so where, where do you fall on that, on that, on that North yeah. Carolina? Ooh, that's a great question, Mates. There's... Well, first of all, if you I, I, well, I, I know undergrad, Matt, my, my, my <laughs> I'm on a lot of red. Um, yeah, in all body. seriousness, though, um, well, for, for a sign you were throwing up, though, later we're gonna get to. So well, we didn't know that, that could have been that too. There's right, that so. too. <laughs> um, but uh, in all seriousness, because I grew up the daughter of a coach, number one, and number two, because I grew up in North Carolina, I grew up a fan of the ACC. Um, growing up, I actually did not have a preference. I watched all of them. Wake Forest, NC State, Duke, Carolina, Georgia Tech. Um, and I I probably remember all the coaches from those eras. Um, and so I didn't have a a favorite. And then when I got ready to prepare for college, I actually looked at Carolina and NC State. I actually got into Carolina and NC State and I went to programming at both that was to recruit minority students. And I probably shouldn't say this, but it's facts. Carolina students were just a little snobby and NC State was, <laughs> they were real chill. And I was like, I got to go up here with the chill folks. Both of them are great schools. So I'm fair about that. But uh, it just literally came down to personal preference. There it and is. So at that point, it's anybody but Carolina and anybody but Duke. So once once I became full fledged Wolfpack, I, I can't, I, yeah, I'm not cheering for them. No, nah, I feel it. So you, you have a wide range of, just different sports in that experience. Baseball, you mentioned the football, basketball. Was there a sport in particular that you gravitated to um, early um, on? Yeah, basketball. I love basketball. I still love basketball out of all the sports. Um, my father was a basketball and a tennis coach, and he did participate in, in different sports, but um, basketball, absolutely. I was a, a, I was a basketball fanatic. I still am um, at NC State. I don't think they do this anymore, but back in the day, I know Duke still does. Um, we had a camp out system a lot like Krzyzewskiville. Mm-hmm. And so I literally camped out for tickets <laughs> when I was at NC State. That's so, an experience yeah. though, right? That's, you hear oh, about yeah. it. It's, 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 oh yeah, it's an experience. I don't regret doing it. I would never do it again. Um, <laughs> and you clearly have to be a teenager who's insane um, <laughs> to sleep out in the cold overnight mm-hmm. um, on the ground for tickets. But um. Long story short, basketball. I still love basketball, whether it's college basketball, NBA. I, I'm just first. My first love is basketball. Um, everything else falls after that. Football is probably number two, though. There it is. So you insist uh, competitive. You know, did you guys play against each other? Did she not fall on the sports spectrum, or how, how did that how did that run? Um, that's a very good question. My sister is a huge sports fan, but she hated participation. 
Whereas I did both. I, I participated. I, I played softball when I was in elementary school. Uh, when I got to middle school, I played basketball and volleyball. Um, and in high school, I actually pivoted. I liked basketball, but all my friends were cheerleaders. So I decided I needed to be a cheerleader because they got to hang out in between breaks and the basketball team had to go in the locker room. <laughs> so, um, so I literally did all the things. My sister loves sports. Like she's a maniac as a fan, but she hated participating. She don't like physical activity to this day. Um, nice. That's just is not in her DNA. So we never competed in that way, but we both are competitive people. Our, our mom and dad were competitive too. So <laughs> who's older, who's younger. I am older in numbers and she is younger in, in age, but, maturity anybody <laughs> that knows the two of us is probably gonna tell you she's the more mellow chick there it is. Be a little fiery at times a little spunky a little slicey my pops didn't have you out there with this king richard on man he ain't trying to make a <laughs> actually he did yes <laughs> he did that's reason number two i quit basketball <laughs> and actually in hindsight that's reason number one Okay, there it is. <laughs> cheerleading was reason number two. Yeah, that dude was crazy. Like when I was playing for the middle school team, I I think he didn't take me seriously till I was playing, and he was like, "Oh, you're kind of good." Um, and I was really good at um, as a shooter. And so we had a we had a hoop at home, of course, grew mm -hmm. up with that. And he started trying to intervene. And I was like, "Yo, I got a coach at school. I don't need you." <laughs> Mm -mm. And my father didn't play like, yeah, that dude was a little bit crazy. So the 10 free throws and until you make all 10, can it come in? <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's one of the people like you're going to run until you like vomit. And I'm like, no, actually, I'm good on this. Eh, I think I'll just be a fan. And if you hadn't asked me that, I would have completely forgotten it. But that's absolute truth. He, he went in and I was like, yeah, I'm good on this. Let's my friends are cheerleaders anyway. Let me try that out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something about fathers. They just lose their minds. And and I was always very strong, strong willed. So, oh, wait, wait, so you got MH chuckling because uh, so you, if you don't know, he's a he's a girl dad. And we'll probably get into that later. So uh, <laughs> he's already sizing her up, got her scouting, doing measurements right now. Yeah, <laughs> it probably would have worked, except I've always been really hella strong-willed and very, very rebellious. That's what we so, started off with, Rebel Without a Cause. In yeah. The intro. <laughs> so if he had laid off, I probably would have kept going. But the more he came for me, it's like, no, I ain't doing it just because you <laughs> want me to do it. You know, you want him to go to HBC? Mm -mm, I'm not doing that because you right. want me to do it. Um, I think it served me well, though. No, for sure. As a <laughs> as a as a daughter of a coach, you know, a lot of times coaches uh, sometimes obviously parent to his own household, but he could be parent to some other players household and figures in the community. So did you was that ever a struggle for you to sh kind of share your pops with the community at all? It wasn't. Honestly, I really loved being a coach's daughter and I have friends that are coaches now and um some of them are worried about that absence. Like I, I'm on the road or I got games, especially college coaches. And I just tell them what my experience was. And everybody's is different, of course. But for me, it was it was a source of pride. It was a source of honor. The only time it rubbed me wrong, the only time, real real facts, is because he coached high school basketball. So he and it was boys. And you know, sometimes they'd come up for cookouts, whatever, all that good stuff. 
Um, so it never bothered me in that way. But a few times when he got tickets to Carolina or Duke games, he would take those dudes. That's when I had a beef with it. Because <laughs> it's like, yo, I want to go too. And so when he got tickets, which wasn't super often, but if he got one or two extra tickets, he'd pluck his players and take them. I'm like, uh, excuse me. I'm over here. I'd like to go. Um, that's seriously the only time it ever bothered me. It never really bothered me. And then the other, the only other time, it, it didn't bother me, but it, it caught me off guard, is there was a time um, when I was in high school and his players, like I said, they would come over and play, pick up or whatever. And sometimes they'd come for, you know, a cookout or a family gathering. But there was one time they came over and I didn't know they were there. I, I think I was at the neighbor's house or something. And then later on, I learned that they weren't there to see my dad. They were actually there. <laughs> one of one or more was there to holler at me. And I didn't know that, <laughs> but it didn't matter because he blocked. <laughs> Pop shut them um, down. Yeah, by the time I by the time I found out, it was blocked. Like, cause I got, I found out through the grapevine back at school the next day. They were like, "Yeah, so and so went by your house." I was like, "When was that?" <laughs> um, so um, that's more of just a fun story. But um, only when he gave when only when he took those dudes to, to games and didn't take us, which that 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 definitely I felt a little sting. Not even jealousy of them. It was more so I just wanted to go too. Oh, right. Well, I'm sure dad, I'm sure dad gave them, I'm sure they remember that story. And I'm sure dad had them on the line pretty on the line. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny to me because that I didn't see coming. I, I never expected that part. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all good. Now I love being a coach's daughter. I, I think it it's a huge part of my identity, even to this day. Um, I definitely am my mother's daughter as well, but hello, I've made an entire career out of sports. I've gotten a, a doctorate in sports. Like, come on, like who does that? That literally always goes back to how it started. And I started as the daughter of a coach. There it is, that's all. So school-wise, right? So we know what school you selected, right? And uh, we wanna talk about both of them. Like how did the selection process go, right? So wasn't like a traditional, you know, recruiting, but you know, having that sports background, you probably want to go somewhere where they had a good team. So you had that sports experience in, you know, college. So how did you select um, NC? And then how did you select when you went on um, to go to Ohio State? How did you select those programs, right? Like how did it make that final decision? Because you did get offered to both NC and NC um, State. So how did that kind of come down? And then do you regret, you know, I guess I'll throw a little hook in there. Do I don't want to say regret, but like taking that process of not going to an HBCU. Lot of that's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> let me sit up straight. Got my sip of water there. Um, first, undergrad. Uh -huh. I, I actually initially, um, again, I was always I started out as a rebel, I was always like pushing boundaries. That's that's just always been a part of my DNA. Um, so initially, I wanted to go to Howard or Hampton. And so those were the two HBCUs I aspired to. I wasn't partial to HBCUs versus um, PWIs. I just wanted to go to Howard and Hampton. Um, and he shut that, my dad, again, not my, my mom was pretty open, but she also was like different. Like, this is a family decision. Your father has the final word. And so I wanted to go to Howard and Hampton. And he, he was like, nah, you ain't doing that. 
And his sole reason was honestly because I was out of state. He, he wasn't comfortable with me going out of state. Um, and so that's when I got into my little bit of a spite mode. So, OK, it's like, you're going to make me go to school in North Carolina. Got it. <laughs> and so everybody I knew, everybody I knew was going to an HBCU. They were going to NCANT. They were going to Federal State. They were going to North Carolina Central. They were going to Elizabeth City. And so I was like, I, I always wanted to be different. I always wanted to have a different experience. It was like, I know those people already. I want to meet some new people. I want to have some new experiences. So it wasn't ever a choice between HBCU, PWI. What it came down to me is I couldn't go to the HBCU I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I got to go in state, I still want to shake it up. I still want to do something a little different than everybody else is doing. So again, I was an ACC fan. All ACC schools are great schools. They're all research one. They're always they're all dope. They're all competitive academically as well as athletically. A lot of people pay attention to the athletics, but these are solid institutions, some of the best in the country. So at that point, I looked at state schools because you wasn't going to pay for private. I wanted to go to Duke. I ain't paying for that. <laughs> so my father like whittled down my decisions all the time. And it came down to NC State in Carolina. And I think I mentioned earlier. Um, I spent a lot of time at, um, at Carolina. Actually, I spent more time at Carolina than I spent at NC State. I went to Carolina for yearbook camp, went one year for cheerleading camp, went for um, something called, I think it was Project Uplift or something, upward back, something recruiting minorities. Uh, and I never, I, I, I enjoyed being there because I was there with my friends, but I didn't enjoy being there as far as being on Carolina's campus. I always found their students and their faculty to be very... Um, and they still kind of are, which is ironic because I got a lot of friends that went there. But from an experience standpoint, for me, it felt very elitist. Um, and I, it wasn't that I felt left out or that I couldn't thrive there. It's just that's not how I roll. Nobody's better than the next person because you got on powder blue. Like, who cares? Um, whereas they when do. I went, <laughs> they do. That's true. <laughs> they um, do. Yeah, but that powder blue is really skidding right now. It's skidding hard. We'll talk about that later, but um, sure, for sure. So I have better visits to NC State when I went to NC State to check it out as a school. I just had a better experience as someone who's auditioning. So I was, I could split the difference. I could have yeah. gone to either one. I would have been fine, but it really just came down to I, I enjoyed the culture and the campus of one more than the other. Got you. Now, quite did you cross undergrad or grad? I did grad. Um, okay. Mainly so, because the chapter was down when I was undergrad. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So get us into the grad. So how was Ohio State the decision? So that's a, a really kind of move, right? Going from uh, south to uh, north or midwest, however you want to. Yeah. Um, big move. Big, big shock to the system. Um, but zero regrets. Again, that was another life-changing experience. Um, well, I told you how I got to visit, which was kind of piggyback on my aunt's trip. But even before that, part of the reason I wanted to piggyback her trip is one of my mentors at NC State, his name is Dr. Brown, Dr. Joe Brown. Um, He's not there anymore. Uh, But he worked in the athletics department at NC State. I had him as a professor for some multidisciplinary class. I have no idea what it was. But he became kind of like my on-campus mentor, like my surrogate dad. Like we all latch on to somebody when we're in college, you know, some adult and so when I would visit him, his offices were physically in Rumble's Coliseum. 
So as much as I love sports, I had no idea that that was a business there. I didn't know that there were professions there and opportunities. And so literally just going to Dr. Brown's office over the course of two or three years, I was like, what does that person do? What does that person do? Um, because his full-time job, even though he taught a couple of classes on campus, his full-time job, he was in academic support. Mm. And so it wasn't so much that I drilled down on academic support. It was just being physically visiting him and his offices being located inside the athletics department. I started seeing sports information. I saw the business office. I saw, I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole world back here. This is something I can get into. Um, and the reason I say that was where the Ohio State started is because Dr. Brown got his doctor at Ohio State. Gotcha. So he didn't try to sell me on Ohio State. But when, when I started that conversation around like, oh, I think I want to get into sports and such and such. He's the one that kind of opened that vision to Ohio State as a, as a school. And then I got to piggyback on my aunt's trip. And that was kind of like, oh, bet. I really I like the visit. Um, and yeah, the change was drastic, mainly the weather, um, which is ironic because I hate heat. But I hate heat, but I hadn't felt that kind of cold. <laughs> like, that's a different kind of, kind of cold. It's definitely, I, definitely. That's a way different type of cold. And I would call home. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die of frostbite any minute now. <laughs> it was different cold. And then you're like trekking across a campus. It's not like that's, you're in the building. And the, like, the wind's busting you in the face as you're trying to go to your next yeah, spot. <laughs> like I was a student. Like I had to like schlep in, in, the, in the wind and the cold and the snow and the ice. And it was bitter. Oh my goodness. It was like nothing I ever felt. And my classmates teased me, particularly uh, one who's still my good friend. He was from Chicago. And Gene was like having like the thinnest jacket and maybe a cap. Because that, that Chicago cold is different cold. Exactly. So <laughs> so the little Ohio cold to him was like, ah. <laughs> yeah, so he would just, he would crack on me all the time. I'm like, whatever, dude. That's hilarious. It's cold. Like, this is, <laughs> you're not cold. Don't mean it's not cold. It's cold. There it um, is. But yeah, it was it was it was an adjustment, but um lifelong friends in that in my classmates, it was a cohort. So it was only about 20 of us. Mm. Um, so we're still friends to this day. They're more like family. We still stay in touch. Actually, I saw that guy, Gene. I saw him at the Final Four, um, because he's a scout now. So uh yeah, I, I have nothing but love for Ohio State. I had a very positive experience there. Well, there it goes. So I want to transition to in your career, right? So a lot of movements for your career, but just want to touch on a kind of a few, right? So I think I want to start with before we get into the higher ed portion of it, right? So you had a, a great career. You know, we talked about it as far as collegiately and in the pros, you know, doing the marketing, right? So talking about like Atlanta Braves, Orlando Magic. I mean, you know, there's um was it the Hawks too? I don't know. There's just so many teams that you were involved with. You had to, you even had to think about it, right? Yeah, it wasn't the Hawks, but um, but they were affiliated with the Braves because that was during the time Ted Turner still owned all of them. Um, gotcha. uh, Durham Bulls, Atlanta Braves, Orlando Magic, um, and there's a lot of like free freelance stuff in there, or like just one-offs in there. Because I did some ESPN boxing matches, which I no longer watch boxing off of that alone. Um, just working for it. So that's, I guess, what my question is, right? So, what are some of the things that you learned, right? So, what were some of the positives that you liked as far as working professional, and the positives that you like working in collegiate from a sports corporate sports, right? Because the higher ed is a whole different world. 
higher ed is a whole different world. And when we get to it, there's a story there because this was not at all part of the vision. It was not part of the vision. It was not part of the intention. It still isn't. Well, we can start there then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very serendipitous. But so what happened? No, so what happened? Well, it's fair to start at the beginning okay. because I don't okay. think I'd be at Georgetown without my full body of work. I think right. my full body of work allowed me to, to ascend to a role like this. Um, no, my full intention was to work in the business of sports, which is how I started. Um, and my original intention was to work in professional sports, particularly the NBA. So that was my first opportunity out of grad school was working for the Orlando Magic. And so in all honesty, I always tell people when they ask me about my career journey, I say it was 50% strategy and intention. And then it was 50% um, organic God got jokes. Like, <laughs> like you make some plans and he's like, mm, I got some different plans for you. So in all sincerity, I, I really... All I ever wanted to really do was work in professional sports and um, particularly the NBA. And I did work in college sports at Ohio State when I was in grad school. That was kind of when I realized I didn't want to do college sports. I like college sports, but working in college sports is, is like hella demanding. Like it's probably the most demanding out of any of it because you're not just doing one sport. You're doing multiple sports. The seasons overlap. They don't want to pay you nobody about, for nothing. Um, <laughs> You're working a nine to five day, then games and weekend. It's just really college sports is brutal. It's really, it's really brutal until you can ascend up into those like associate and assistant AD roles where you start to, you know, pull away from the the grind. You still got to be at the games that you're not running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, so that was my intention. And the reason I say all of this is because I ended up at the Braves because my father got sick. My father um, actually had, uh, I wouldn't say it was a massive heart attack because he wasn't incapacitated, but he did have a heart episode when I was in grad school. Um, and nobody told me, my family didn't tell me about it, which was kind of crazy. I found out from my best friend. And so initially they just thought it was a, a one-off, um, but it turned out he had congestive heart failure. And so as his, as his condition deteriorated, and we all know how demanding sports is. Um, I needed to, I felt like I needed to get closer to home. So I took the Atlanta Braves job because um, Atlanta was closer to home than Orlando. For me, Atlanta was a six hour drive. It was something I could shoot up to North Carolina on a weekend and be back. So that's how I landed at the Braves. I was just trying to adjust. Um, but then he got sicker. And so he continued to deteriorate. So then I was like, okay. This isn't even working. Plus, break, baseball's brutal too. Like, no me gusta baseball. Not going. Mm -mm. Um, so when I left the Braves, I moved back to North Carolina. North Carolina is college sports. Um, yeah, Charlotte's got a couple teams. They're ne they're never more important than the CIAA, <laughs> and they're never more important than the ACC. Not the CIAA. So, I, <laughs> yeah, they're just never they're never going to be more important than that. They're just not. They can they they do all right. But long story short. Um, for me to stay in sports, it meant I needed to uh, I needed to roll back into college sports. So I rolled back into college sports because I was in the Raleigh-Durham area. So first I, I was with North Carolina Central, HBCU, Division II at that time. I think they're Division I now. Um, and then from Central, I went back to NC State, um, which was great, alma mater. It was roughly 10 years later. So all of my moves in my early career after the first one were dictated by what was happening in the background, to be quite honest. 
Mm. Um, that's why I say there was intention, but then I had to adapt. Um, and in hindsight, I don't regret it because not only was I trying to get closer because he was sick and I wanted to be near and helpful, but I didn't know it at the time. But when my father finally did pass in 2001, um, my mother got sick not long after. And that was crazy because she wasn't sick. She didn't have any type of like, we knew he had heart failure and it was not going to end well at some point. Um, so she passed away about 18 months after my dad. The caregiver so, syndrome, man. That stuff is tough. Yeah. So it, that's why I say in hindsight, I was just trying to get closer because of his situation. But now that, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't have predicted I'd lose both parents before I turned 30 years old. So I, I did make career adjustments that changed my entire career path, but no regrets because I got that time with my parents that, you know, I couldn't have gotten back. And maybe I stayed at the Braves. I probably still wouldn't have had regrets because you don't know what you don't know. But I made decisions based on what I thought I needed and felt to do at that time. So that's why I say my career path has been partially strategic, but also kind of like God's like, I got something else going on. Now, that one wasn't a good one. It was like, yeah, I got something else going on. But some of his, his jokes have been funny. And that, that's, that, that's like the one that landed me in academia. That, was, that's, that one's funny. Because it's like I had no, I had no plans, like none, zero. Not just no plans, no interest. Um, even when I was working on my doctorate, I was working at NC State in athletics. And I just have always been a little bit, <laughs> I don't know if it's a masochist or a strategist, but it's a lot of ambition behind there. It's a lot of ambition behind there. And so I knew I could get another degree for free. I know that's, that's not exactly the re reason most people get doctorates, but it's kind of why I got mine. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Let's see what we can do. We, okay. And so I don't want to cut off. I'm just like, because I'm living like, so <laughs> twin flames right now, right? Lost both okay. my parents before 30. Um, uh, well, around, right. um, dad before 30, mom close at 30. And then... um that life adjustment, right? Move back home to be closer to them, to help, whatever, whatever. Yeah, man, that's... Yeah. <laughs> and then went back and went to school, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because to get closer to them, and I got a free education, got a free master's out of it, so no, I... Tw tw twin playing. God got jokes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Okay, Nate, what you have, man? No, 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 that was fine. Um, But yeah, so I went to NC State. I started working on my doctorate, uh, mainly because I could. Um, but that, I also burned myself out doing all of that because I was working actively in, in the athletics department, games all the time, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, like you name it. Um, so I started my, my doctorate while I was there. Um, and yeah, I was just doing too much. Advising Delta, the undergrad chat. Like I was just doing a lot, <laughs> doing a lot. So my, so just very quickly, and then I give y'all back the mic. Nice. Uh, the reason I say I didn't intend to, be an academic. I didn't. Um, my intention, once I pivoted back to college sports, I kind of just was like, I owned it. I was like, okay, we're in this lane. Life is good. I was um, starting to get traction. I was in NCAA Leadership Institute. I was getting asked to speak at conferences. Like, I, I was just like, cool. I College sports. We're, gonna, we're back. Um, my intention was to become an AD. And a lot of people in college sports, particularly now, um, starting back then, but even more so now, a lot of people who are trying to ascend that college ladder do get doctorates now. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're running the athletic department, but it's a significant piece of a higher education system. 
And so my doctoral pursuits, aside from the fact that I could do it because I could get it, was tied to, to rising through the ranks of athletics, not, not to become an academia. So that's the little, that's that full circle that I wanted to kind of complete there. Wow. That, thank you for sharing. Really, really thank you for Again, this is you. So if you, you can take the mic as long as you want to, this is, this is about <laughs> you. You don't, have to, you don't got to throw it back to us. But one thing I did want to ask, I'm a super fan of uh, women's college basketball, just college basketball in general. Um, and, you know, you've had, obviously, Kay Yao is one of the pioneers of women's basketball. And, Absolutely. Um, just can you talk about, you know, her, her impact there at the university on that women's basketball? Oh, yeah. And actually, I worked directly with Coach Yao because women's basketball was my sport, um, was one of my sports, I should say. It was one of my sports, but the significant piece. Um, yeah, Coach Yao, Hall of Fame coach, Olympic coach, uh, one of the all-time greats easily. Um, definitely in the same breath and legacy spirit as a, a Pat Summit or a Gino Ariamo. Um, and I did work directly with her. Her impact, though, I'm going to go back a little very quickly because um, it, it, it literally staley is where I'm going. Um, when I was in college as an undergrad, my sweet mates were women's basketball players. And so when and and, and my my roommate now Michelle, we were the only ones in the suite that did play on a women's team. We we just happened to be there, and but they were so they were very good friends of ours. They're our sweet mates and whatnot. So Michelle and I would go to all the games to support them. And when I was in college, they were a great team then too. They were nationally ranked. Um, UVA was nationally ranked. I think that was when Debbie Ryan was there, and Don Staley played for UVA. That's why I said I was going all the way back. So. My introduction to Coach Yao started when I was an undergrad at NC State, and she had one of the best programs in the nation. So I started dialing in on women's basketball back then, and Sylvia Hatcher was at Carolina. Um, Pat Summit was at Tennessee. So I started as a spectator. And then, like I said, 10 years later, I circled back to work at NC State, and I worked with all the major sports, but women's basketball, I was the lead on women's basketball. So I worked hand-in-hand -hand with Coach Yao, her staff. Um, and the women's basketball team. Um, I know so many of them over through the years, including like literally long after I left, I knew I knew women's basketball players. Tanisha Lewis, I don't know if you pay attention to her. She's the head coach at Elizabeth City State. Just won her first CIAA championship in I think her second year of coaching. Um, she played for Coach Yao. And they were like, I think they were number three when Tanisha was still playing. Um, so that's my backstory with Coach Yao. But the impact, oh my God, it's just phenomenal. And so I know during the pre-show, we were talking about what are my platforms and one was cause marketing. Um, one of the things I'm so proud of that I don't, I don't, I try not to brag about, but I'm proud of it is that there's currently a, an initiative that, that, that sustains to this day that's known as play for K. Mm -hmm. But play for K started as um, an NC state thing. It was called hoops for hope. And so when her cancer came back, cause she had been in remission, I think close to 20 years, um, she didn't want anyone to know, to be quite honest. And so internally with an athletics department, we were told to, you know, keep it low. But reporters were starting to like figure it out. They were following her to her appointments at Rick's. It was just got really, you know, classically out of control. And so she she gathered us internally, those that were part of her, her team. Um, and she's like, if if we're going to if they're going to come for me in that way, I want the attention on the on the on the illness. I want the attention on the cause, not on me. And so she wanted to use her platform 
to raise awareness. And so we created Hoops for Hope, which was an annual charity game, and we raised money. But the game wasn't just a game. It was a game. Pink shoelaces, pink jerseys, the whole nine. Um, silent auction, breast cancer awareness, um, fair outside. Um, you could get memograms on site, like the whole nine. Well, Hoops for Hope sustained for, I think it was uh, maybe about three or four years, maybe five, before it became Play for K. It basically became Play for K when she passed. And so the, the WBCA took up the cause and they, they made it a national initiative. Initially, it was just state and Carolina, like that we would use that game. Um, and so that's something I'm super proud of because it was a part of Coach Yao's legacy. Um, it's something that still continues to this day. And now there's actually a Coach Yao fund. So they they now oversee that initiative. Um, it was just, it's, I can't really describe how fortunate I feel that I got to work for one of the literally all-time greats of women's basketball. Um, it was just surreal. But she was a very pleasant person. Um, very unassuming, very humble, um, just just a, literally a great human being. Absolutely, one hundred percent one of the one of the best people I've ever had the privilege of knowing or working with. Um, so much so that I was actually glad that I didn't work for the athletics department when she passed because I think it would have just broken my heart to have to. Be, I mean, it broke my heart anyway. But to, if I had still been intimately working with her day to day, I don't think I could have taken it. Because it was it was just too big, too big of a, a person, a too big of an impact. So, Coach Yao, yes. What's um so in the program um that you're that you're over, right? So you're the director over it was it S S I we call it S I M. Yeah. What's the major objective? Is it like a collective of like all the sports management, like as as falls under that? And what's what's kind of like the goal for you guys as a as a program director? Like, what what are you hoping for um, the students that come through that program? Our goal is to produce stellar professionals, ex exceptional professionals who want to work in the sports industry. Um, we are the only sports management or sports industry management program at Georgetown. There is no undergrad program. There are no auxiliary programs. We are the singular sport management program at Georgetown. Um, and we're a master's of professional studies. So we're housed in the School of Continuing Studies with other professional master's programs. Okay. So um, I, I give you that piece of the puzzle because we're not a traditional academic program. We do emphasize academic excellence, but because it's an MPS versus an MA or an MS. Um, we are very industry centric and we all, we don't even have full-time faculty actually. Our, our business model is that we have all adjuncts. So my staff is about, um, I shouldn't say my staff, but the faculty I oversee. The team, is, the team, the team. The team, Keep yes. it team Sam, team Sam. Um, the faculty I oversee is, I think it's just shy of a hundred people. Um, and every single person that works in our um, program as an adjunct is someone who actively works in sports now. Um, we have a couple of people that might be retired and still consult, but every single person that, that teaches in our program is, is someone who works in sports. Um, we've got people that work for every facet of it you can imagine. We have the curator for the sports exhibit at um, African American Museum. Um, he's, he teaches in our program. We have a GM. I will not put them out there like that, but we have an MBA GM who teaches in our program. 
Um, we have a, a WNBA. I think her her title might be Vice President of Branding, who teaches in our program. Shout out to the Aces. <laughs> uh, yeah, and might have been might have been my star. where well, she still is. Um, it may have been on the Black and Sports podcast. I mean, you know, I might have been. Might have been. We might go way, way, way back. Um, but uh, yeah, and we have uh, people who teach. I mean, I teach people who work for the Special Olympics. We have people who work in college sports. We have people to work for agencies. We have people to work for ESPN. We have people literally from all across the nation, quite honestly, that teach in our program. So that's awesome. That's, that's the that's the dope part about it. We really and that gives them that real life kind of connection, right? Like someone that's speaking from you know not yeah. theory, right? Like they tell like we're we're speaking from actuals, not theory. So no, like they're actuals and they're still in it. They're they're yeah. in it day to day. Um, attorneys, some of them are, are, are attorneys for teens. That's dope. Yeah. Um, one gentleman, he actually worked for Madison Square Gardens for 30 years, and then he went to um, L.A. and he helped start the Staples Center um, and then came back to D.C. and helped them start the uh, the the ballpark for the Washington National. Yeah, he, he's got some age on him, but he but he's still he's still there. He's he's one of he's one of our best. So y'all got, y'all got a scholarship. I may need to enroll, man. Y'all got- right. <laughs> yeah. Get my numbers up, man. Yeah. Hey, like you said, they're getting. <laughs> They're getting that firsthand knowledge, but they're also this is their first network. These are they're these are people that can introduce. That's a hell of a network, jeez. Yeah, like your professor is going to be somebody who may be able to connect you, or coach you, or mentor you, or even give you an opportunity. We do have a few people that you know they're in a position to they can help people get an opportunity, whether it's an internship or a job. So um, yeah, we we have a pretty dynamic program, and that's the goal is to turn out exceptional professionals who will be the next executives and leaders in this in the sports world and, and how whatever capacity that they aspire to do it love it and since you have uh anything else before we uh jump into quick hits i wanted one little question um at saint peter's university yeah. uh, launching the esports minor i really want to kind of just about that process and how that works and where esports is going and it has gone yeah, I got hijacked on that one too. Um, <laughs> I, got <you. laughs> I got hijacked. Um, so at the time, I was at St. Peter's and I was the director of their sport management program, which was an undergraduate program, um, but it was housed in the School of Business. So at the time, we, I, I, I personally wasn't checking for esports. I do know it's a thing um, because I also was an adjunct at St. John's and they have a tremendous esports program at St. John's. Um, but we were just trying to find a way um, to make ourselves a little more distinctive because St. Peter's is essentially, it's Jersey City, but you're in the New York City metropolitan market. Right. Like, so you're competing against Fordham's, Columbia, Pace, uh, St. John's, Rutgers. Like, there's just a lot of, of colleges, like private, public, big, small, known, unknown. You got Farley Dick- Dickinson's and Seton Hall, like you just have everything. So it was like, okay, so this area is turning out a lot of sports people, um, a lot of sports managers. Um, ours was an undergrad program. And then you also have to factor how many people come to the New York metropolitan market to get right. into business. So it was like, how do we make ourselves distinctive? And so uh, we had some people that, um, not some people, <laughs> we had some consultants that were pitching us on esports. And then once we did the homework and we realized, oh, this is a thing 
And if we jump on it now, we can be one of the first programs in the nation to have a dedicated specialty. Um, there are some schools now that even have a dedicated major. It was, it was really attractive to us. And St. Peter's had a esports team that was competing at the conference level. Like the MAC conference had actually started um, fielding some esports teams. Nice. So that's why I say I got hijacked because I, I can't own it and say it was my great idea. It was more, it was definitely a team effort, but I, I definitely could see what everybody was seeing, what the buzz was about. And so my main goal or not goal, my main responsibility was to facilitate it because I was the director of the program. So I oversaw more of the administrative process. And then we brought in specialists and consultants who knew more about the, the, nuts and bolts of esports. So um yeah I got a little I got a little hijack there. Like kind of like when I said that I got into academia by accident. A lot of things that happen to me that are really dope happen by accident. <laughs> and George Georgetown's one of them too. That's by accident. <laughs> happy accident. I didn't get a job I wanted. That's how I got to Georgetown. I got you. I was I was trying to get a job at NYU in their graduate sport management program, so I wouldn't have to leave the New York area. And I got down to the finalist, and I didn't get it. Um, I was one of two finals. I didn't get it. I didn't know who the other person was. Um, and I wrote because, as I said, I'm I'm pretty spicy. I wrote NYU. I was like, okay, I didn't get a job. Do you mind telling me why? Um, <laughs> I always do that. They sometimes I get the answer. Sometimes I don't. That particular time, they were like, no, you were great. You were excellent. Because I really felt like I had done well. I don't always feel like I had done well. That time, I was like, oh, I rock that. I, I was all <laughs> out there. Like, I am it. Like, So when I didn't get it, I'm like, what's your problem? <laughs> and they were like, well, simply put, you were excellent. Um, it was really hard to license two candidates. But that person had more adjuncts. And so at St. Peter's been a really small school. I'd only managed like two or three adjuncts. The other candidate had managed, I think they said upwards of 60 or so, 60 or something like that. Or no, NYU had 60 adjuncts. The other person had managed close to 100. And so what I didn't know was the other person was this gentleman named, um, Lord, how am I going to forget Daniel's name right when I was going to say it? Lord, I forgot the man's name. So the Georgetown director <laughs> of sport management was the person who got the job. And at that time, I was a capstone advisor for Georgetown. And so I wasn't checking for, I still wasn't checking for Georgetown. I didn't get NYU, but I wasn't checking for Georgetown. Um, and NYU was like, well, next time we have an opening, you really should apply again because we love you. Everybody loves you. Um, but instead, what happened is I found, I did ultimately find out that Daniel got the job because what Daniel actually emailed everybody on the Georgetown staff the advisors and the fact I wasn't an adjunct, but I was an advisor to let us know that he was leaving. He's like, yeah, I'm leaving. I'm going to NYU. I was like, he got my job. <laughs> this dude got my job. And so I sent him a congrats. And I wasn't sending it to be shady. I was being honest. I was like, congrats. It's like, this might be the first time I ever lost a job to somebody I actually know. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's kind of cool. If if I got to lose it, I lost it to somebody who I know. Um, and it's a, guy, it's a black guy. Um, and so he was like, well, would you be open to Georgetown? Uh, I was like, what? It's Georgetown. Yeah. Like, sure. <laughs> right. So he put in um, a referral. And after about six months, I didn't hear anything. And I was like, yeah, they don't care what Daniel thinks. <laughs> like, because I didn't hear anything. But not long after, um, 
the interview process started. And so I, I still had to earn it because it took about took a minute for them to reach out. And then it took another minute to go through the iterations. But that's how I landed it. Um, and then just finally, the last thing I'll say, because I, I want to make sure I make this point, is you do have to kind of go with the flow because you never know where your blessings are. Right. I wouldn't be at Georgetown if I didn't stumble into academia. And I stumbled into academia. The only reason I even entertained academia at all is because I had um, I gotten laid off like back in one of the recessions and I was just having the worst time trying to get my foot back in the door. And and I was being kind of stubborn about it. I was really focused on Atlanta, Chicago, like places I was familiar with or had lived in because um, I had lived in Chicago before. And my sister's like, you got to go where there's no black people like you. She's like, you got to go somewhere. There's no black people like you. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, Atlanta got educated black people. Chicago got educated. You, you, DC got educated. You got to go somewhere. There's not more of you. She said, that's who your competition is. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true. So I just opened my thoughts about that. And then another friend of mine was like, like Q, well, did you finish your doctorate? Uh, no. In <laughs> fact, uh, I took a six months break that lasted six years. And she was like, have you thought about teaching sports? I was like, no, I don't want to teach. She was like, just, just while you're looking, why don't you teach? And so I, I started just being open-minded about it. So I took a teaching job in Boston, perfect place where there's not a lot of me, right? <laughs> a lot of Black people with sport degrees um, at a very small private school. And uh, my intention was simply to do it for two years. Two years was tied to finishing my dissertation because I really had done my whole doctorate except the dissertation. I'd done everything but dissertation. Uh -huh. And then the second thing was two years was I didn't have to pay back reload if I stayed two years. <laughs> right. It's like you got to get two years not to pay back that $7,500. Um, that's how I started at academia. And then I, everything I got after that, including Georgetown, it just it was like butter. Like St. Peter's recruited me from from LaSalle. I didn't even know. I didn't know who St. Peter's was when they called for the interview. I accepted the interview because it was a phone interview. I was like, I don't know what the school is. Where are they at? And who are they? <laughs> like, there's a mascot with this a peacock. Um, <laughs> and and the reason I stayed open to it after the phone interview is because it's like, oh, it's in New York. Because my intention, like I said, was to do it for two years. I always intended to pivot back. And so my attraction when St. Peter's recruited me was like, bet they'll get me to New York because it's the New York market. And that's how I'll pivot back. It'll be the perfect location to pivot back. And then before I could pivot back, Georgetown presents. And then it's like, oh, well, what about Georgetown? And then I still didn't know if I get it or not. And then I got it. So this has been a seven year accident. <laughs> And I and I love it, but if a dream job presented, I'd still pivot back. But <laughs> absent a dream job, I'll be at Georgetown. There it is. Love it. So I just I wanted to make sure I closed that loop because I, I mentioned it earlier. Got it. And, and speaking of loops, I got a I got a couple of quick hit questions for you. Just another some some random get to know you questions for our audience. Um, yeah. but as I enter into this, I'm gonna ask this question this way. What would be your final four kind of schools? If you if you were to have a final four of schools, however you want to pick it, what would be your final four? If you were doing a March Madness Brightness, who would be your final four of schools that you have had experience with? 
of the schools I've had experience with, like I've yeah. worked for. Worked for, yep. Because I feel like I, I feel like out of the perfect brackets, I'm sure you have one because you have a lot of experience with a lot of different schools at different levels as well. So who's who's in your final four of schools? Wow. Well, that's kind of hard because honestly, I would the only one I would pick would be NC State. Okay. Um who, who, who's one, matching up with them? Huh? Who's matching up with them in the semifinals there? Honestly, so I'm gonna cheat. You didn't ask me this, but I'm taking I'm I'm, 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 I'm taking liberty. I'm taking liberty. I'm, yeah, they're doing the NIT bracket now. <laughs> making a decision. St. Peter's, yeah, they made it to the Elite Eight. That was a fluke. I mean, right. they were good. Don't get me wrong, they were good, but it was a fluke. Um, I would love, and I know nobody will appreciate this but me. I would love to see an all ACC Final Four, except, except because uh, obviously my bias, I would like to see three ACC teams plus Ohio State. And one of the ACC teams has to be NC State. <laughs> so I want to see a Final Four where three ACC teams plus Ohio okay. State with an NC State, Ohio State face-off. Okay. That would be my favorite Final Four. That would be dope. I got you. First time, if ever, that you've been starstruck. The first time I've ever been starstruck? Yeah, if ever. I don't get starstruck easily, and maybe it's because you work in sports, you're around a lot of stars. Right. Um, probably the closest I ever came would be Magic Johnson, but not because he was Magic Johnson on that alone, but because I was working for the Magic at the time. And so, you know, we had Penny Hardaway, Dennis Scott, like we had celebrities. Um, but the thing about him is I remember coming out of the offices and into the tunnels. It was a game day or whatever. And, you know, it's not a lot of people in those spaces that, you know, unless they work there. And he was just leaning against the wall. And he was like, hello. I think that's why it threw me off is because I was like, wait a minute. That's Magic Johnson. <laughs> but he was like standing there just chilling by himself, like leaning on the wall, like, like, you know, he wasn't dressed up, not a suit or anything. Like I literally spoke back, but it was the after fact. I was like, I think that was Magic Johnson. But I mean, seeing any of the folks was dope. Like the only person I never got to see in person, um, which I really actually hated was, was Dennis Rodman because he was injured when we played the Bulls. And I never got to see that colorful personality in person. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see that dude in person because he, that was that. Colorful, colorful. Okay. Yeah, that's when he was in that headspace. Yes, um, that's and then probably space. yeah, um, yeah. I think Magic Johnson. And then my favorite celebrity because he was just so cool was Allen Iverson. Yeah. I wasn't starstruck. He was just so freaking cool. Like he was just chill and like. Again, it was pregame. Nobody's in there, but you know the teams shoot around, and he just struck up a conversation, just talking. I don't even know what he was talking about. I just remember him just talking, like just any old, any old, anybody. Um, so yeah, I've never gotten. I, I'm grateful for that though, because this is a, a, an industry where it's easy to get starstruck. But more importantly, I am more protective of superstars because I hate when people justify mistreating them because they're millionaires or mistreating them because they're famous. And so I've always actually been anti-starstruck because I'm more protective of that. I hate when somebody says, well, they're millionaires. They ought to do blah, blah, blah. Correct. Uh, no. no, they're humans and you, you need to treat them as such. So I feel you. Two more questions. Just two more. 
if you had somebody to play you in a uh, a biopic, who would, who would be the actress that would play you? Who would play me? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is easy. Um, Tracy Ellis Ross would play uh -oh. me um, for many reasons. Um, <laughs> one, I just adore her. And number two, I see myself in her. Like she does some quirky stuff, some wild card stuff. I'm like, yeah, that would be something I do. And I know this because she, her birthday is three days different than mine. Mm. And so I'm firmly, I'm firmly convinced that we are the same humans. She just happened to be born to Donna Ross. <laughs> small difference. The small difference. Yeah. Same year, October 26th versus October 29th. We're both Scorpio, October Scorpios. Yeah. Tracy Ellis Ross. I love it. I love it. And then kind of on the Donna Ross chain. If you had three songs that have a soundtrack of your life, what would those songs be? Oh man, these are hard questions. And I love music. And I have an actual soundtrack on my phone. I have three. Okay. <laughs> I have one that's like the story of my life, and one that is like if I need to get hype. Um <laughs> like <laughs> it's hard to pick a song, man. You get three of them. Give me, yeah, you got three. Jesus. <laughs> Take the steering wheel. <laughs> right. Um, can I name artists? Do I have to pick a song? Yeah, it's three songs. Go ahead. Yeah, it, whatever is easier for you. Well, I'd rather go song. First, I start with K Dot. I love Kendrick Lamar, so I would start there. And like, mm -hmm. I want something like royalty or humble or, um, yeah, just that's two. <laughs> no, they can't. I was just saying Kendrick Lamar. Um, okay. I like Ti. I like a lot of artists. So, man, this is too hard. I can't do it. <laughs> and I got to have the Scorpio song and I got to have the wolf song like there's actually a Scorpio song about an October Scorpio chick I don't even know who sings that that's some recent artist Future. Um, <laughs> and then yeah and then Big Sean has a song about Wolfpack so yeah I need that song too I gave you some samples. I gave you some samples. <laughs> so just share your Spotify playlist with our audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a playlist person. You got yeah, three. Uh, man, no, can't do top three. It's never that simple. Awesome. All right, man. That was a quick hit. So let's jump into the winner's circle. You know, we want to definitely touch on this. Um, so the winner's circle, you know, you identify two main things and I, I want to throw in a third, but you know, it's, this is your show and it's definitely about your platform. And I think the one big one is just really highlighting a lot of that's happened. I think, you know, you know, over the, the last couple of four years has really been um, highlighted more kind of brought more to the forefront, but just diversity in sports. I mean, you are a very, very big um, promoter, supporter, advocate, um, any kind of adjective you want to use. And like, you know, I do follow you on LinkedIn. So I definitely see, you know, those things that you put on and some of the things you put on, we definitely repost on our um, IG. But what really um, spurred that for you, you know, to lead that charge? And, and like, what are some of the things that you know, we can do or, or, or how people can kind of continue to support that charge? Um, for me, it's just simply I sit in this seat every day. I am a woman who works in sports. I'm a black per a black person who works in sports. I'm a black woman who works in sports. Like those three intersections. And I say three because they're all distinct. Being a, a minority in sports, ethnic or racial, racial minority is one identity. 
being a woman in sports is another identity. And then there's the intersection of the two. So I think that that's the main reason I champion it because I, I know what it feels like. I know what those challenges look like. I know what I've experienced throughout my career. I know the moments when I was held back and I didn't think it was fair um, because I lost to a male. Um, and, and honestly, I felt like I've lost to a male more than I've lost to a, a person based on their race. Um, it's, it's been just the male thing. Um, I even had somebody once tell me, well, you, you can't go into a locker room or you can't do this or you can't do that, which actually we can, but <laughs> women can go into the male locker room. Men can't go into ours. Um, so it, I, I want to be the person that lifts others. I want to lift others as they climb. Um, if I can help them overcome that, I want, I want to be that person. So it comes largely from that. Um, I also was just raised that way. You know, I was raised to, to be an advocate and to be a, um, an activist, to, to use my platform, to use my influence or power, whatever I have, to help others in general. Um, helping others, period, of any persuasion. I always say I'm a human first, and therefore I, I, I'm, I, uh, I champion humanity first. But of course, within that umbrella, I'm always going to champion my own. So those, those are the really important things. Um, and I love to see what's happening. Um, the strides that are being made and the strides that have been made in the 20 years that I've been in the business are phenomenal. Um, I even had a student do a capstone project about the WNBA and he was critiquing it about what all it hadn't done. And I was like, uh, dude, go in, but be reasonable because I worked the first ever WNBA draft camp trust. A lot has happened in 25 years, a lot. So, you know, is there more work to be done? Absolutely. Um, so however I can use my platform here at Georgetown, I use it to uh, hire when I have hiring opportunities. Um, I'm always going to hire somebody of experience. I'm never going to not hire somebody who's qualified, but I'm going to be the person that finds the people that they say they, can, they can't find. They can't, oh, find, we can't, we can't find that person. Oh, well, I know some. I know some ADs. Um, I know some VPs. Um, and so I use my my current role to hire um, as many minorities, whether it's women of any persuasion or black and brown that are bringing the heat. I'm, I'm going to do that. Um, and I'm going to look out for my students. I go hard for my students and I go harder for the black and the brown. <laughs> um, at one, one of my students that I'm super proud of, we, she still considers me her mentor, is a young lady named Milan Bolden-Morris. And last year, she made history when she became the first Black woman to be a coach. She's a great assistant, but also quarterbacks co assistant quarterbacks coach for Michigan. Um, so the first Black woman to do that ever for a Power 5 program. Um, and only the second woman to be a coach for a Power 5 program in 35 years. So... She when she called, though, you know, not when she called, but when she calls, you know, sometimes we might be talking through what those challenges look like because you're trust when you're when you're a trailblazer. And I literally told this to Milan, when you're a trailblazer, you got to break out those two words. If you're blazing a trail, there's heat. Mm. Mm. And so you might be making a difference and you might be blazing a trail for others, but you're going to feel the heat of that process. And so it takes, it takes a special person to blaze a trail for yourself and for others, but trust is worth it if you can do it. So. Wow. 
Yeah, man, that's that's deep. One <laughs> thing about using your 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 platform that I want to touch on um, the MVP Collective. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that? Yes, I was a little hesitant to share it because it's still in the um, I'm in the lab, as I like to call it. But it is something I'm looking forward to launching um, this year. And my executive coach has been pressing me to launch it sooner rather than later. Um, it's basically a project that I that just kind of organically came to fruition um, from a couple of things. Um, I have a, a number of peers, um, whether they're coaches or executives in the sports profession, that reach out to me about their their leadership or their philosophies or their personal brands and things of that. You know, how do they show up? How do they package themselves for that next level? Um, and then I also obviously get a lot of requests from students to do the same thing. And so over time, I found myself saying or, or giving the same type of feedback loop. And I was like, oh, I need to package this. So my vision for the MVP Collective is actually to be um, threefold. I, I already do speaking engagements, but to drill down and and focus on certain topics within speaking um, about the sports business, particularly how do you accelerate yourself in the sports business. Um, I also plan to do consulting, which is working with individuals and or organizations to develop people so that they can climb to the upper echelons of the sports industry, um, whether it's the coaching side or the executive side. And the third piece of it um, is to write a book in that spirit. And so I call it the collective because it represents uh, one concept, but multiple ways that I, I plan to introduce it into the market. I saw. And those are the three main things. I have a few other things that will, will follow, but those are the three big pieces. Um, and so... And I want to do that not just here in the States, but globally. Last year, I had um, an opportunity to teach in Spain for a week, and I was invited back to do that again this year. And I was invited to speak at a conference in France, and I was invited back. <laughs> so I, I want to be able to take basically the arc of my career and all that I've learned, and I want to be able to share that with people and how, and then they be able, either people and or organizations be able to use that to accelerate and grow and develop, you know, excellence in, in the, in the industry. Now, is this something that you do with your sister as far as, cause I know you've done consulting. Have you, you guys had some consulting work you've done in the past throughout your dynamic career? Yes. This particular thing. No. Um, yes. She and I through our, we have a joint venture, the Frederick firm, we have done consulting um, with that joint effort because she's, she's, she works for Cisco. She's, I don't even know if I'm supposed to tell who she works for, but whatever. Um, she works in um, technology. So our our backgrounds are so vastly different, but where we are intersected is is leadership, mm -hmm. um, executive, uh, you know. Coaching kind of. Yeah. And so, development streams, right? Exactly. So we work with universities. We work with corporations. We work with um, big universities, small universities. Hold on. Is this what we get? We work with uh, cosmetic brands? Uh, yes. We have, little... we have worked with a major cosmetic brand. We had a, a, a really nice contract with them, our biggest ever. Okay. And what was one of the results that that, that, that we want to that we want to talk? Got to share that. I thought that was so dope. What? Uh, Thrive Cosmetics? Yes. Um, but you got, got your own little little brand. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, so oh, much. Yeah. See, I'm a I'm a humble sir. I'm a humble soul. 
Um, yeah, so we work with Thrive Cosmetics, but they actually surprised us, or specifically me, my sister was in on it, is um, we worked for them, worked with them for about a year and a half um, doing some diversity and leadership training. And it was a big project. It was it was uh, corporate. So it was across the country, all of their employees, um, several hundred. But they surprised me at the end of the contract. Um, they I, did, I had no idea they were doing this. They had, it had been queued for about six months. Um, they name all of their products after women that they find is, inspirational um, and from all facets of, of the world. Like it could be social activism. It could be corporate. And. I had no idea, but they chose to name one of their products after me. And there is a caramel shimmer known as Dr. Q. And <laughs> it still exists to this day. And so, yeah, um, I've had a cosmetic named after me because Carissa Bodner, who is the CEO and founder of that brand, said that she thought that I was one of the dopest people she'd ever met and for me to be doing what I do in the sports world. So yes, I, I forgot about that. You did do your homework. You did. I forgot about. It. I don't even think about it honestly. I mean, I'm honored. I don't want to minimize it, but um, yeah, my that's another thing. I my executive coach tells me I need to work on is collecting and 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 celebrating those wins and accepting and accepting yeah. the flowers. And yeah. what you got? No, I I thought that I would have to agree with. With right. lady, you are pretty dope. <laughs> I'm I'm really starstruck right now. You say I'm, oh, I'm forgetting wow. myself. <laughs> I just want a Vaseline, some for my elbows to be named Vaseline. <laughs> oh my so, goodness. So let's kind of go into the, the the marketing vein. So culture, I think is that the, the vein because you know I know there's so many names and I, I don't want to get it right, but like is it culture or is it impact marketing? That's another kind of you know, that's a very good question. When no. I was, when I was still in the industry, we usually led with the term cause marketing. Okay. But now, to your point, there's culture marketing, there's impact marketing, um, there's social impact, then there's social justice. Um, and so, what I what I like to highlight, and 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 I do try to post about this quite often, is just simply sports as a vehicle for good. Like there's so much that happens in the in the in the world in general, and, and a lot of negative, a lot of traumatic, just a lot of stuff. You know, life be lifing. Um, and the same thing in the sports world. You know, people will cling to those those stories. Feel good, right? That are just yeah. And it's like, but do you know what we really do? Do you know? Do you know that Jesse Owens ran in like what was known as the Aryan Olympics and won four gold medals? Do you know how that changed culture? Or when Muhammad Ali chose to like abstain from the Vietnam War, that changed culture. Or like even Kaepernick, I know a lot of people are still salty because he didn't get back into the league, but that wasn't what he was fighting for. It would be nice if he got back into the league, but what he was fighting for is to bring attention to social justice and, and, and police brutality. He did it. And so those are the social causes, but other ways it shows up. Look at what the women's soccer team did by like fighting for equal pay and especially considering they were far better than the men's soccer team or even with Venus and Serena, like because of them, the purse for tennis is the same for men and women that didn't exist before Venus and Serena. And so whether it's business or whether it's causes, I like to champion 
how sports shows up and changes the world, like literally changes the world. We are oftentimes the first to integrate. We're oftentimes the first to like play nice with each other or to use our platform, use our dollars, use our jobs, use our energy um, to make a difference. You know, even when I went to the Aces game last year, um, when I was in town, they were handing out T-shirts because it was the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Title IX is an education law. It's not about sports. But because of sports, Title IX has changed the world. Um, it was written for education. It wasn't written specific to sports. It's just that sports harnessed the power of Title IX in a way that no, no other thing could. And so it's benefited women and girls in sports. It's benefited education. It's benefited women and girls who work in sports, not just who compete in sports. And so I just like to, wherever there is a, you know, less hype, what sports does to change the world, I'm like here for it. In that way, that's what I say. I don't even know what they call it anymore. In that way, I'm not attached to one iteration of it because it could be a, a, something around social justice or social activism, but it also could just simply be about, you know, good marketing where you're making a difference. Um, like what Nike does, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people hate on Nike, but Nike does some really dope stuff. Um, behind the scenes. Yeah, I printed a, good, a hell of a contract. <laughs> yeah, like they do some amazing work behind the scenes as well as what we see. Michael right. Jordan, I hate when they compare Michael and, and LeBron. I hate that because first of all, he's the prototype for LeBron, <laughs> let's be honest. But secondarily, they both do great things, but they're generationally different. LeBron is of a generation that does show and tell everything they do. Michael is of a generation where I'm doing a lot of really wonderful things, but I don't need to brag about it. I don't need you to know what I'm doing. I don't need you to know that. And so, you know, again, it's so many ways we can have an impact, including, you know, sports intersection with entertainment, sports intersection with politics. Like I could go on and on as you figured out by now. Um, that That's something, that's my second passion about the business. Diversity is my first, but my second is just, again, maybe it's a little bit more tied to what I said earlier, humanity. How do we change humanity? whether it's here in the States or globally. And diversity is almost one of those verticals, right? Like there can easily Absolutely. be, right? Like that's maybe one that you're highlighting more and that diversity not only comes in race, it comes in so many other facets, right? For gender equity, pay equity, you know, and things like that, you know, but definitely there's a, there's a really big miss. And the reason why, you know, we, we started black in sports because that voice and that part of that was definitely missing from, you know, diversity and, and inclusion kind of perspective. And these athletes of today are are currently getting that to where they're, you know, getting more comfortable with their voice, but they're still feeling those Absolutely. pressures and, and stigmas and things like that. But I think you're feeling a vacuum too. Um, everything that you just said, I co-sign 100%. But you're also feeling a vacuum. It's what I call the other stories. I like that athletes are feeling more confident to tell their stories, whether it's the Players Tribune, whether it's, you know, the shop or Uninterrupted or Anscape, which I don't like that name. They should have stuck with the undefeated, but that's my opinion and nobody asked it. Um, but what you've also done, which I think is the next frontier, which is here, but it's more to work to be done, but you're doing a great job of it, is highlighting the business of sports. Because the reality is, when people want to fuss about what they see happening or and they do or do not like, particularly if it's got anything to do with the game or the players, is if we don't have a seat at the table, we don't get to dictate the menu. 
And so you guys are highlighting those of us that have seats at the table and people who are building their table or they're bringing their own chairs <laughs> or they're knocking down doors. Like that's the next frontier is to tell those stories. And particularly those of us that are black and brown that are in those roles, because we are the ones who will be able to champion that. You know, a lot of people hated on Jay-Z when he stepped up to the NFL. They're like, oh, NFL, Kaepernick. No, we need a seat at the table. We got to have both. We got to have this. And we also got a person that can sit at the table and not antagonize everybody. We need all the people and all the things. And the stories that you're telling and the people you're featuring, to me, is the next frontier. Um, athletes have their platform, but those of us in the business have a platform, too. Absolutely. I love it. That's that's why we do it. And obviously, this dude is an athlete. You mentioned Michael Jordan, but I saw I recently saw the movie Air. And then as working in sports now, uh, it, it was just like impactful. It was a it was a really impactful movie. As I, I mean, when I was a kid, I just liked Michael Jordan for how everybody else liked Michael Jordan. But seeing the impact that he made as far as having a real piece of the pie uh, when it comes to like his money and his brand um, and his likeness. And uh, how his mom was involved in that whole um, piece of it was huge. It was really impactful for me now as a adult in sports. I'm like, yeah, this is this is real big. So I, I yeah. agree wholeheartedly. I've not seen the movie yet. I've heard good things. I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I don't even know why I haven't seen it yet. I need to see about that. Um, but it's funny that you said that because one more fun fact. So I'm not just from North Carolina, but Michael Jordan's father is actually buried about four miles from my high school. Oh, because wow. his father is from the community where I went to high school, oh, wow. um, which is Teaching, North Carolina, in in little tiny humble church. Um, and his father's gravesite is quite distinct amongst the others. Um, but with that said, I grew up with some. I don't know Michael Jordan personally. Not even going to profess that. But I grew up with that overlap. So I I went to school with one of his half brothers and his first cousin, um, and his. Michael Jordan's best friend was the sister, was the brother to my aunt's best friend. And so a lot of intersections. So when you bring him up, even though I haven't seen air, I've I, and that might be why I'm so like defensive of him when people want to compare him again. Family. <laughs> yeah, that's the, all right. That's, I know, yeah, I know a lot of the backstory. I know a lot of I know a lot of his backstory. So like you, I was a fan of the player. Mm -hmm. But I'm a fan of the person. Like, like, there's stuff there that a lot of people want to wear, including Michael Jordan actually wanted to go to NC State. That was a school Ooh. he wanted to go to because he, bomb. Because <laughs> he admired David Thompson. Yeah. And David Thompson is who he asked to present his um yeah, Hall of Fame when he when he was inducted. And so even that, like he went to Carolina, no, no knock on that, but like there's so much, there's so much there. This and, and like you said, that's the distinction of Michael Jordan. It's not that there he wasn't, he wasn't the first person to have a shoe, we got Dr. J. Right. Like, it's the way they did it that changed it for changed the landscape for everybody. For everybody. And so what they're doing now, like anybody that says that Michael Jordan doesn't get props for that, nah. Yeah. <laughs> he gets all he gets props yeah. for that. He did it different. Yeah. Nah says it in the song. Michael J gives just like LeBron, but it's you know it's a different era. So um, yes, 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 yes. Times. 
All right, so want to wrap it up here. Um, this is the part we call the assist, right? So this is where you get to give a coaching gym. So daughter of a coach, you know, I'm pretty sure you got coaching gyms. As a teacher and a business coach, I'm pretty sure you have a lot of philosophies, but just one that you would leave our audience with, right? Like maybe just a little nugget, a quote, or words that you live by that you want to kind of leave our audience with. Ooh, I have a lot of them, but I'm a drill. I'm a drill down. The first one that came to mind um, is I, I always say this and I, I live by it. Always chess, never checkers. Yes. I always. love that one, by the way. <laughs> My always. eyes a little more. Um, um, what'd you say, Kristen? <laughs> always chess, never checkers. Like, yes. you chess, got, not checkers. Yeah, you got you got to know you got to know what you're dealing with there. Um, you want to <laughs> be playing smarter. You want to be you want to have multiple moves. Um, yeah, just definitely that one. Um, I, I said it earlier, lift as you climb. None of us, none of us get where we want to go without help. So never assume that you did it on your own because you didn't. <laughs> um, but also once you get there or even as you're on your way, pull pull somebody else along. Like do what you can, whether it's writing a recommendation letter, whether it's giving some advice, whether it's making a connection so they can get an internship or you know, helping them get the the interview for a job so they can leapfrog the 500 resumes that came in. Always look out for somebody else. So lift as you climb. Um, and hmm, what else would I say? Another one I say um, is I tell my students a lot um, is the sports business is competitive. It has always been competitive. It always will be because from the outside, it looks like it's a big, impressive multi-billion dollar business it is but it's also an aquarium it's not the ocean <laughs> it's, a, it's a very finite business oh, it is. everybody knows each other or they're a few degrees apart so i always tell them when you're chasing a perfect tracing your profession in this business you got to have equal parts patience and equal parts persistence and they sound like they don't go together they sound opposing they're not you got to have patience to wait your turn but you got to have the persistence to shoot your shot. Mm. You got you got to have the persistence to keep shooting your shot, and, and but you also got to wait your turn. Sometimes you're gonna be coming off the bench. Sometimes you're the sixth man. Sometimes you're the fourth <laughs> man. Like those are probably my. I, like I said, I have a lot. I actually am somebody that has quotes everywhere. I'm that person on the refrigerator, on my computer, whatever. But those mm. will probably be the ones that come to mind first. Chess, not checkers. Lift others as you climb. And have patience, but persist. persist. Where can we find you? Give me um, the. We'll put this in the show notes. But just uh, what are your preferred connections, right? So I definitely follow you on LinkedIn. But uh, where are your definite places people can reach out and get more of this gems, this knowledge, and wisdom, and just kind of support you? I am. I do most of my business posting on LinkedIn. Although I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sometimes on Instagram, um, but I'm gonna do better. Um, LinkedIn. And so obviously you can search me by name or you can do LinkedIn. What is it? Hack.com mm -hmm. backslash in backslash. Everything is I am Dr. Frederick. There it is. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. So uh, MH, final thoughts. Dr. Q, I, I really appreciate you. This has been uh, both inspiring and just very informational for sure, for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for being an a, a agent of change. That That is huge for us. We appreciate you. I'm humble. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, I follow, I met EJ last summer when I was in Vegas. Um, and I've been following uh -huh. 
sports sense. And I've seen some of people I know and love up here. So I am honored to be a part of the family officially now, not just as a fan. Well, we aquarium, funny. like you said. So I mean, hey, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's we that it's it. so, so welcome to come by anytime. You know, we're definitely working on some things about some comeback shows. So um, thank you so much. We really appreciate the wisdom, the time you've taken, because we know you are on the East Coast. So, Correct. you know, and, uh, you know, I go ahead and throw up that dynasty sign right there I, I, <laughs> as you're signing out, you know. So, hey, uh, we want to thank our guests. Thank you, um, Dr. Q. We really, really appreciate you. We thank you, the listeners, for um, checking out the show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. Uh, new shows drop every Thursday, so please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel because visual representation matters, okay? But we are on uh, every podcast platform that you can check out, so subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you know the drill. Stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even... Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spat about two racks on handmade new rags. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. That's everybody from sports to college class to rap and back.